Father, we thank you and praise you for this time, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. And Lord, we need to be in your word. There's craziness going on in our society. There's just total bizarre. But yet your word gives us the peace that surpasses understanding. For you foretold of these very days. And even as we sang, you are God. You're above it all. It's not surprising you. So, Lord, give us wisdom, even as we touch on the word this morning. Give us wisdom in your word. Guide guide our hearts, our ears, to be attentive right now, these next few moments in eternity, that we might apply these verses to our hearts and our, our minds as we go out into our mission field this week. Because people need Jesus. They need a Savior. And we are the ambassadors you have chosen to go into our workplaces and our neighborhoods and our families. We are those who have the the wonderful, the beautiful feet of the gospel, the good news of peace. Father, I pray for the gift of teaching and that you will be glorified in our lives this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 132, a song of ascents. Now, this song was most likely written during Solomon's reign. The temple is mentioned, and King David is referenced as well. And David's desire was to build a permanent location for the Ark of the Covenant. And so I think we got a slide. Jim, you want to throw up that slide? So here is the Ark of the Covenant. Um, if, many, if any of you watched, uh, what is it, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? I mean, that's, it was very interesting. The movie was, was kind of goofy, but it did show the Ark at the end, and that's what it is. It, it literally is an Ark. And David had a desire to build a permanent location for the ark as seen in this song, which David unfortunately did not get to see. And so we're just going to leave that up there for, for a moment or two as we read through it. We may even throw it up there and come back to it as we get to maybe a verse or two about the ark. So let's look at verses, uh, verses 1 through 5 in Psalm 132. Lord, remember David. And all of his afflictions. How he swore to the Lord. And vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Now in quotes. So David saying. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house. Or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes. Nor slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob or of Israel. And so the Ark of the Covenant was seen as the the presence of God in the midst of Israel. The presence of God in the midst of Israel. This, This was the same Ark that Moses had built a tabernacle for, and that the whole nation of Israel would gather their tents around specifically in Shiloh, for hundreds of years, when they stopped to rest in the wilderness. So prior to coming into the the promised land for the 40 years in the wilderness, the tabernacle would move, and wherever the tabernacle moved, tribes were assigned to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. Three tribes surrounding the tabernacle, which would have been surrounding the Ark of the Covenant. You see, it wasn't a good luck charm. How many of you were raised in a religion where you had good luck charms? Any of you raised in a religion that had good luck charms? Raise your hand high. Don't be afraid. We're not going to stone you. 
I was raised in a religion where if you wore a certain thing, it was called a scapula. If you wore this around your neck, it's like garlic. If you wore this around your neck, nothing bad would happen to you. <laughs> okay. Bad things still happened. But the Israelites, if you read your Bible, you're going to find out that the Israelites became so complacent that they actually believed that the ark was a good luck charm. They actually believed that. They came to believe that. They lost the holiness. Not that the ark was holy. The ark was a box. But it represented the holiness of God. They, they lost the holiness of God and it just became a good luck charm. And sometimes we treat our Bibles like that. We, we don't read our Bibles. We come to church. We, we spend the hour and a half at church. We punch the religious clock. And then when something happens in our lives, it's like, where's my Bible? And it's behind the glass with the hammer. Break glass in case of emergency. No, you're to read it every single day. You develop that relationship every single day. So it doesn't become a good luck charm. Well, if I rub it, I'm having a hard time. If I just rub it, God will get me through this hard time. No, no. See, when we read the Bible, we can just look at these things and go, that's so silly. I would never do that. And that's why I give some maybe analogies of maybe you would do that or I would do that. If we forsake the holiness of God. You see, two angels faced inward with their wings covering the mercy seat. And as we just read, King David had a desire. Notice, King David had a desire to build a temple for it because it had been in a tent since the time of Moses. Notice that David's desire was so intense that he actually lost sleep over it. We just read it. We just read it. I will not give sleep to my eyes nor slumber to my eyelids. Now, I sometimes, unfortunately, do this in counseling. My eyelids start to, when I get in a chair, when I'm not doing something, the chair just kind of goes around me. And I get comfortable. Somebody said a couple weeks ago, you're really tired, aren't you? (laughs) Me? No, I'm listening. (laughs) It just happens. That's what slumber means. David wasn't even, he was on point. He goes, I want to build a house. For my God. For my God. You see, even though David knew that God dwelt in in heaven, he wanted a place of significance. A place that represented God's magnificence here on this earth. In verses 6 through 9, Behold, we heard of it in Ephratah. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. You and the ark of your strength. Again, notice the ark. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Not self-righteousness, Christians, for us today. Not self-righteousness. Righteousness, which is what? Just take the first word, right. Just being right with God. Just being right with God. That's what righteousness means. I'm right with God. And let your saints shout for joy. You see, the people in David's hometown of Bethlehem, Ephratah here, and others who were surrounding Jerusalem desired to go up to the temple to worship the Lord. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. And the team always does a great job. So if you're new or visiting, 
you're unfamiliar with the Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the chair. Just look below you. Uh, if you need to poke somebody and say, hey, could you hand me that Bible? Just do that. There's always a couple books before and after. Get familiar with your Bibles, guys. Get familiar with your Bibles. You see, once Solomon built the temple and then dedicated it, and Solomon, in case you're new to the faith, was David's one of David's sons, but he was the son that was anointed to be the next king after King David. There was a cloud that filled the temple area, and the priest actually had to exit the temple. In 1 Kings 8, now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. And in March, we're actually going to be in the city of David. And as I've mentioned many times, Zion is one location, but it also encompasses all of Jerusalem. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ithanim, which is the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the priest took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priest and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him were were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Then the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, to the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place or the holy of holies, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they cannot be seen from the outside. And they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel. Religion will teach you that you need to make a covenant with God and then fulfill that covenant, and then hopefully he'll love you because you did that. The Bible teaches us otherwise, that God loves us and that God is the one who makes the covenant. Even when we break it, he still loves us. When they came out of the land of Egypt... Verse 10, and it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory, the Shekinah glory. Again, as I mentioned these things, I don't have time to explain everything. Do your own study. But the Shekinah glory, the actual presence of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Now again, remember, King David knew that God dwelt in heaven. King David wrote about God designing and speaking and building everything. So David and Solomon were not trying to put God in a box and that God only dwells in this place. And if you're anywhere else, you always have to come back to this place because God won't hear you. No, not at all. They're just built, they built a place and they took the ark to a place to show significance to the whole world, known world at that time, that there is a God in heaven. And as you read the Bible, the Jews were supposed to be reaching out to the Gentiles, not hating them, but reaching out to them, that there is a God in heaven who loves you 
and would like a relationship with you, come, come and see what we have built for him. Although he has spoken everything in the being, we built this for him. Again, just a point, a reference point, a reference point. So for you and me, we need reference points. And for the New Testament, what do we know the reference point is? First Corinthians chapter six, that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So when you look in the mirror every morning, you're seeing the holy place. You're seeing that holy of holy place. And that's why we're to treat it with respect and honor and dignity to take care of it for you single people, not to be having sex outside of marriage. For you marital couples, not to be committing adultery. There's no such thing as having an affair. It's adultery. Not committing adultery because your temple is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So next time you look in the mirror, that I look in the mirror, just realize the Holy Spirit dwells within me. The Holy Spirit dwells within me. You see, it's hard to imagine, but when you read this account, there must have been a tremendous amount of excitement to go up to Jerusalem to see the temple, to see the priests and their vestments, to, to hear the singing and the praise that was taking place. It's for me. It's for me on a Sunday morning. And again, I just, I just personally share with you these things, not to lift me up or any of that nonsense, because if you know me, you know that doesn't happen. But I look forward to being here at 9 o'clock and singing songs. I look forward to it. And when our children were little, we got them into the Sunday school so that we could be in the sanctuary at five till. We'd be saying hello to people. We would sit down and we entered into music, into worship. Why is that so important? Because my God, my God, as we just sang this morning, is above all the other gods. Because I had little gods in my life and I still do today. And I have to keep those little gods in check. And so for me, one way of doing that is by gathering together with all of you and hearing your voices, not let's just turn up the music so loud that we can't hear each other, no, hearing all of our voices, whether you're on key or not, hearing all of us together saying, God, you are God. So now we're not out in a battle fighting alone. We realize, taking now a Sunday morning, that we have hundreds of people Believing the exact same thing that I do, singing the same things I do, praying to the same God that I pray to, I'm not alone. Thank you, God. I am not alone. And we're not alone. But to see and to sense the glory of God. You know, it must have been a wonderful time, a very moving experience. One that would do what? It would draw the nation together. And that's one thing that we can do on Sunday mornings is is it does draw us together. Anytime there's a music service, it should draw us together. Now, I know some of us, as, you know, some of us are like, well, you know, what about the hymns? What about the hymns? Why don't we do more hymns around here? Or why don't we do this? Or why don't we crank up the music more? Why don't we have lights or smoke or this or that? You know, why do you, you're so boring here. Sorry. That's not us. Go to the mirror, look in the mirror, and say it to yourself. And see what response you get. Oh. Oh, I, I see. I'm the problem. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you're the problem. Because I can go over and do children's worship, and I have a great time. I worship the Lord. Those silly little songs, I worship the Lord. I have a great time doing it. And I'm, because why? I'm worshiping God. I'm not worshiping the children. I'm not entertaining the children. I'm not trying to perform for the children. I'm just like, guys, let's see these. And I can challenge them just like I do you. Let's sing these songs. And you know, most of them, don't, they don't need the challenge. They just sing it out. They could care less if they're on key or not. They can't clap just like we can't clap hardly. 
But they still try. They clap. So guys, realize the bigger picture. We're here to worship God. We're, and, and, and I know, again, worship, sometimes we think of just music. Worship is 24-7. It's our life. It's our lifestyle. It's who we are for God, even behind closed doors. Verses 10 through 12. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Now, this could even be Solomon who's writing this. Could be. I'm not saying it is, but it could be. Because Solomon was anointed the king. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. Yet I, I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Because we see the promise that God made to David. And the promise is based upon a very important word. As you're turning there, and when you turn back to Psalm, you'll see it again. The word is keep. The word is keep. Verse 12 of Psalm 132, the word is keep. Well, let's look at Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. Now, this is Moses who is writing this. This is hundreds of years before they come into uh, wanting a king. So this is, this is somewhat instruction as well as somewhat prophecy because God knows the heart. It's kind of interesting. Don't we all want a king? Now don't shout no real quick because next year we're going to get all this stuff all over again about who you should vote for. And every party wants to vote for their own king. We want somebody to rule over us. I mean, just think big picture here. This is not craziness. This is, we want somebody to rule over us. And we don't want that party to rule over us. They're bad. We want our party to rule. So you want your own king to rule over you. How's it going? How's it going for America, having a king ruling over us? And you think, well, we don't have a king ruling over We voted him in. If you look at the bigger picture, that's what independents want, Republicans, Democrats. Give us a king that will march for us, that will show us where we should go. We're doing the exact same thing that the Israelites did. It drove them into the ground. Deuteronomy 17. When you come to the land which your God, Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Notice that. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. So not a democracy. Listen to God. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself. Notice here the criteria for the king, the future king. Even though they have no king yet, God is their king. God is the one they're following. When you guys get into the land and you want a king, here's some criteria. Make sure this doesn't happen. And now think about this as far as our psalm and possibly Solomon writing the psalm or the song. He says... But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way. What did Solomon do? What did Solomon do? What was one of the things Solomon did? He multiplied horses. He went to Egypt, multiply horses. Now guys, this is the first five books of the Bible. 
So as we bash Solomon, get ready to bash yourself and myself. Because we do things we shouldn't do that are in the Bible. And you'll see why. Okay, here we go. Verse 17. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself. Hello, Solomon. Lest his heart turn away. And as you read your Bible, you're going to learn that Solomon married many, many women that turned his heart away from God. Not just turn your heart away. That turned his heart away from God because they brought their idols into Israel. Solomon built actually altars for these idols and actually worshipped at these places. Solomon? The wisest man that was ever born? Uh, Yeah, yeah, Solomon. There you go. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Now, with those three things being said, they basically add up to what? I got power, I got wives, I got money, I don't need you, God. I got this all under control. Not that that applies to anybody here this morning, but just keep that in the front of your mind. We can amass things and think, I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah? Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. I love this, these verses here. I love these verses. The king, the king, whoever you may king, whoever that is, while he is king, he is supposed to write the first five books of the Pentateuch, you know, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah. He's to write them out. That would take some time. Because it had to be word perfect. It couldn't be like, well, I think Moses said this. No, 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 no. It has to be word perfect, letter perfect. And that's why we have the scriptures we have today with us, guys. When people accuse the Bible of being mistranslated or changed or this nonsense or that nonsense, just do some study. It hasn't been changed. It hasn't been changed. It's it's wonderful. It's complete. So for you and me, he shall write himself a copy of this book from the one before the priest, the Levites. Notice that. And it shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life. That's why Pastor Jim says every week, I hate it when he says it because I don't do it. But every week he says it. Read from Genesis to Revelation. Why does he say that? Because the Bible says it. And because I try to do it, again, not to be self-righteous or any of that nonsense, but if we're Christians, let's do what the Bible says we should do. Out of what? Out of a love relationship, not out of a religious obligation. That he may learn to reverence the Lord. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. Verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Isn't that awesome, guys? Isn't it awesome how simple Christianity really can be? But religion and us make it complicated? Keep it simple. Read your Bible every day. 
Ask the Holy Spirit, what's wrong with this thing inside here called my heart? Because the Bible says that my heart is desperately wicked. What's wrong with it? And as he exposes it to you, he's going to give you the word of God to heal that, to bandage it, to take care of that. And you will see that part of your life dying. Because what did Paul, what did Paul say? I'm crucified with Christ. How? Dying to self and living for him. You see, unfortunately, Solomon did not heed these instructions. And then shortly after his death, Israel became divided and the kingdom went downhill fast. Eventually, the kingly throne was removed from Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And it wasn't until Jesus was born through the line of David that a king sat upon that throne. Not a physical throne. Not a physical throne like David's. But an eternal throne which will one day be set up in Jerusalem once again during the thousand-year reign of Christ. And as believers, we will have the privilege of seeing that throne one day. But for now, for now, it's up to us individually through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not giving you a pep talk. Through the power of the Holy Spirit to seek, observe, and keep the Word of God. Again, we will fail, I will fail, you stick around here long enough, I will disappoint you, guaranteed. But I will try to repent, because God gives repentance, and I'll try to get back up and do what God's called me to do. How about you? I know most of you will say, yeah, I'll do that too. Amen. That's what we're called to do. So back in Psalm 132, as we finish it up, For the Lord has chosen Zion. Notice this here. For the Lord has chosen Zion. The Jewish people didn't choose Zion, nor did the Muslim people. God has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. And I actually have those two verses highlight. I encourage you to highlight your Bible. It takes away all arguments. You don't have to get political. Just open your Bible and read your Bible to somebody. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I'll make the horn and horn is symbolic typically in the scriptures is symbolic of strength. And I will make the strength of David grow. Well, David died. Again, Israel, the idea of having someone governing over the land that's going to seek after God the way that David did. Did David make mistakes? Big time. But he repented and sought after God. I will prepare a lamp. Now think of a lamp. A lamp lights the darkness, illuminates where I need to walk. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. So again, I think this is a reference not just to us everyday believers, but taking it in context to the king. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. Notice the I wills as we read that. You see, Jerusalem was chosen by God to be the resting place of the ark or his presence. You see, it is still his own personal choice today. And that is why the enemies of God, yes, there are enemies Muslims are enemies of God. I'm not politically correct. I want to be biblically correct. Mormons are enemies of God. Jehovah Witnesses are enemies of God. Anyone who takes Jesus and makes him less than God is an enemy of God. That's called the spirit of Antichrist. Anyone 
an atheist, anyone that takes Jesus and makes him less than God is an enemy of God. And that's why specifically, that's why specifically the Muslims want East Jerusalem to be recognized as their capital. And that's specifically why Iran, Hezbollah, (laughs) these terrorist groups desire to push every Jew into the Mediterranean Sea. They just don't want East Jerusalem. They don't want any Jew in their country. It's God's. Never forget, it's God's. And don't be afraid to let people know it is God's and it always will be God. You know, in these verses, we see that God reaffirmed his covenant with Israel. It is the city chosen by God and it will be the city in which his son, Jesus, will rule and reign. You see, it doesn't matter what you, it doesn't matter what I, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about Jerusalem. The word tells us it belongs to God, and so God will see to it that it remains his. God will be our strength and will illuminate our path. So what can we take them from those verses? Keep God's word first. To heaven, so that we might, so that he Again, not self-righteousness, not look at Calvary Chapel, none of that nonsense. So that he might receive all the glory. Because what did Jesus say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Very simple. Read your word. All right, Psalm 133. A song of a sense of David. So now we know specifically that David wrote this and we know that David lived at 1000 BC. So here's a 3000 year old song. You want a hymn? Here's a hymn, man. This is a really old hymn. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This is so, so key. You see, wherever there is strife and division, we can know for certain that it is not God's plan for us. Rather, it is pleasing to him when we dwell together in unity, loving one another. And in this psalm, David addresses the issue of unity, and we could just imagine the stress of Jerusalem swelling to millions of visitors for these major feasts. You see, there would definitely be a need for patience and remembering why you're coming there in the first place, to worship the Lord. And he might have written this psalm after the divided kingdom came together because there were those in the north who wanted to follow after the late King Saul. And it took the current King David over seven years to bring the northern and southern tribes back together. Seven years, 40 of his years reigning, seven years it took to bring the northern and the southern tribes together. And there was tremendous joy when the divided kingdom became united once again. And in verse 1 here we say, well, how can brethren dwell together in unity? Let's look at Ephesians. You know what? I'm just going to read it. We're getting late on time. I'm just going to read it. Write it down. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Please listen. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. So he's writing to believers. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and and gentle. So how can we dwell together? How do things get done around here? I see this happening. I see this in place. And I so appreciate it. We don't have a lot of drama around here because I don't like drama. I deal with drama very quickly. Humbly 
and gently serving one another. That's what it's all about. It's not about title. I have a title. If you want to call me Pastor Jim, that's great. You want to call me Jim, that's fine. It's not about the title. It's about serving one another. It's about humility. How can we serve one another? How can we take care of each other? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. How can we have unity in here? How many of you have any faults? Does anybody here have any faults? Feel free to raise your hand because if you're not, you're lying. And the person behind you is going to slap you upside the head. You got a fault, pal, and I know it. We all have faults, so just admit it. And get over it. Realize it. Try to allow the Holy Spirit to change that fault, whatever it might be. Why? Because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. You see, unity comes when we surrender our lives to the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, I want red carpet. Well, I want purple carpet. Well, I want red chairs. Well, I want purple chairs. Guys, this is so crazy. Churches have actually divided over the color of the carpet. It's unbelievable. You, You would think that's never happened. It has happened. As we go to build a building, if we don't keep this mind frame, people will get upset and actually leave the church because we didn't, you know, we didn't in, in, incorporate their idea. I'm out of here. Well, your idea stunk. So we didn't incorporate it. That's okay. Come up with a different idea. We still love you. And allow Jesus to be at the center of the family. That's what it's all about. My ideas aren't all great. You know, in doing this, people came back, a gal came Wednesday night. She shared her ideas. I go, those are great ideas. I didn't even think about that. I called the architect and we we're going to incorporate those ideas. It's not all about me. I just happen to be in the front trying to steer the ship, so to speak. Okay, let's get going. Let's do something. But we need all of us and all of our gifts. Again, it's not about the title. You see, when everybody understands that the decisions are being made are based upon the whole word of God, there is unity. And there are many cases of disunity in the Bible, even within the New Testament. The disciples were arguing that the night before Jesus was going to be crucified, who was the greatest? Jesus said, I'm going to the cross tomorrow. Oh, well, that's okay. I'm going to sit on his right hand. No, I am. You see, God didn't hide the fact, but he put it right out there for all of us to see. You see, even the name of Jesus can bring division, as Jesus said it would. And some of us can testify for this, of this for sure. But you see, it's that precious name of Jesus can also bring much needed unity. Unity when everyone involved places God's ways first and foremost in their individual lives. Guys, that's what it is for you and me. You see, it's also the only way a church family can operate and survive. Everyone involved needs to die to their own selfish needs and look up to the one who meets all our needs and ask him, how can I bless someone else in the body of Christ? Now, what's the opposite of unity? You know, of course, disunity. It's the obvious answer. I want it my way, and my way is the only way. And therein lies the problem. You see, in the individual family, unity as well as the larger church family structure Flexibility is the key to resolving issues. Flexibility. So again, all these things have to come together as we study and pray. The more flexible we are within the family, without compromising the word of God, of course, the easier it will be to get along with each other and to accomplish the will of the Lord. 
But everyone needs to be on the same spiritual plane. I'm going to again write this down for sake time of sake of time. Write this down. John 17:11. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. He's praying his final prayer over his disciples. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. And in John chapter 17, you'll also find out that he didn't just pray for his disciples around him at that given time. He prayed for those who would believe on their testimony. So he's praying for you and me today. Unity. Unity. How do we have unity? Flexibility, dying to self, loving Jesus, loving the word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Do you hear unity in these verses? And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect, mature, complete in one, that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. David goes on in in, uh, Psalm 133. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard. The beard of Aaron. And Aaron was the high priest running down the edge of his garments. You see, David uses that picture of the high priest. And when it came to time to anoint him for service over the tabernacle, the anointing oil, which was made specifically for this purpose, was poured over that priest to represent a life's work of surrender to the word of God. Not just a life work, but a life's work of surrender to the word of God. He was going to be that representative between the people of Israel and God. Now, for you and I today, for the believer, we all have that office, so to speak, as Revelation 1.6 says, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Because Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Ephesians 2.18, again, just write these down. For through him... Through Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit, Holy Spirit, to the Father. Triunity of the Godhead there. Notice that. For through Him, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. You see, oil can be symbolic of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. So a person needs to allow the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to practice on Wednesday night. Study. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. Come out Wednesday night. To rule or to flow out of their whole life so that they might be used by God to bless others, which will bring about more unity. Isn't it so simple? It's very simple. But when we get our own agendas in front of the word of God or in front of others, then we end up with problems. Verse 3, It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You see, dew is life for many of God's creatures. It provides them with the necessary water to survive in their appropriate environment. Got that physical analogy? Spiritual principle. For the believer, the Holy Spirit gives us the necessary fresh attitude that is based upon the finished work of Christ on the cross through the word of God that washes and cleanses our minds. Since the work is already done, as we'll be studying in depth over the next few Sundays, we can relax and allow the Holy Spirit to guide our decisions. Life will become fresh and vibrant 
It will become more exciting. You see, trying to be religious causes a person to dry up spiritually. They typically become very judgmental of others. They typically, they don't bring freshness to those around them, but rather a harshness that others really want to avoid. They really do. And I think you can all maybe identify this if you've been around the church for a long time. You see, the mountains of Zion and Hermon were hundreds of years of hundreds of miles apart, yet God places the dew upon both. Think of Jews and Gentiles. They appear to be miles apart. Yet God will send his Holy Spirit upon anyone, Jew or Gentile, that asks Jesus to be his Savior. The there is most likely in reference to Zion or what is commonly known as Jerusalem. And again, the free gift of salvation went from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth, which basically brings us to Queen Creek. But because of that, we as individuals have a common blood link now, the blood of Jesus Christ. And through that common blood link, we have the opportunity to have the best possible unity on the face of this earth. Guys, this is reality. There's no greater unity that can be had than in the church of Christ as you're seeking after him and his way. You see, the same Holy Spirit that dwells in me dwells in you and every believer with us this morning. He knows, God knows, how to bring unity into our midst. We just need to surrender. Ah, there's that word again. We just need to surrender to him. Father, we thank you and praise you for that wonderful word, surrender. We don't like it at times because we want our will to be done. We want our ways to be accomplished. We want our selfish flesh to be fed through complacency or compromise, laziness, being lackadaisical, lethargic. Father, stir our hearts via your Holy Spirit. Uh, these things, unity, that it can only be accomplished, as we've just read, just very shortly. There's so many verses. Through your Holy Spirit. And I believe for a majority of us in this room and on this campus and a part of this fellowship, I believe that is the focus. I thank you for a body that has unity through the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, keep us focused in this area. For we know many of a church that has been destroyed through selfish ambition, through the silliness of carpets or chairs or buildings, forgetting why we even have these things. It's to reach our community for Christ. So, Father, use these buildings as you have been using. Continue to use them to reach our community as well as to bless our fellowship. We're so blessed, Lord. We're so blessed. We thank you for it. But, Lord, let us never become so comfortable that we forget why we're here, why we're temporarily here. It's to reach others for Jesus. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. Have a great day. Great week. But remember, we're entering our mission field as you walk out the doors, guys. We're entering our mission field. Go in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And come out Wednesday night. You're going to be so blessed. God bless you guys. Any prayer? Please come up. We'd love to pray for you.
All right, let's sing. Let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sail. Let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails. The anchor in the waves. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my 